You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. Normally at this point, you'd be hearing the voice of my trusty co-host, Kevin McLenathan. He's out of town for the next two weeks, so today I'm joined by Sarah Welch Larson. We talk about the new horror comedy, Ready or Not, as well as review Joel Talbot's new film, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. All that's coming up on this episode, episode 215 of Seeing and Believing. I just came to get a drink. I have to call the others. No, you don't. No. You can help me, please. This doesn't end well for you. I just don't want to be the one to serve you up. Daniel. I'm begging you. I'm really sorry about all this. It's true what they say. The rich really are different. I'll give you a 10-second head start. Daniel. One, one thousand. Two, one thousand. Two and a half, one thousand. She's in the study! Point the weapon away from you. Yes, we are here, episode 215 of Seeing and Believing, and I am joined by Sarah Welch Larson. Sarah lives in Chicago, and her writing has appeared at Brightwall, Dark Room, and Think Christian. Her voice can also be routinely heard on the new Think Christian podcast. Sarah, we were talking earlier, and you made the connection that I have traded out one Chicago, I don't, not native, but resident. Transplant? For another. Yes. yes. Yes, that's perfect. For another mm-hmm. one. So I think it works out really well. And then you were talking about, too about Lord of the Rings, your love for Tolkien. And um, that's Kevin, too. So it's I feel like it's a good fit. You basically got Kevin 2.0. <laughs> yes. And I, uh, I, I, it's, I'm kind of a little mad at Kevin because he, <laughs> he said this on Twitter. So I, I guess it's okay to let everybody know. He's in Greece right that's now. That's very rude of him. And <laughs> he's gone. And he's going to be gone for... This week and next week, we were off last week, so I won't get to talk to him for a month, which is, it's just going to be weird because we've been doing this for four and a half years and it just feels so strange, but I'm happy you can be on because I've been wanting to have you on for a while. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that you're able to, to, you know, hop on and enjoy me. Thank you for having me. I feel like I have some big shoes to fill, so hopefully I can do the job some justice. (laughs) Yes, yes. And so I think, too, our listeners might remember you from our best of 2018 top 10 podcast. And you sent in a little clip 
I believe it was Annihilation. It absolutely was your was. favorite movie. Yeah, great movie. Yes. Um, everybody needs to, if you haven't seen it yet, and horror and um, ideas about personhood um, are remotely your thing, you should absolutely go see it. Also, if you're remotely into Andre Tarkovsky, there's a lot of his DNA in this particular movie just mixed up and made strange, mm. um, which is very much fitting with the themes of Annihilation. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I. I liked it. I didn't like it as much as you did, but I need to rewatch it. I think I need to rewatch it before I talk anymore about it because so many people <laughs> love that movie. It's so good. And so, yes. Well, listeners, we are going to begin this week's episode with a review of Matt Bettinelli Alplin and Tyler Gallet's Ready or Not. The film synopsis is pretty straightforward. On her wedding night, a young bride named Grace, played by Samara Weaving, is reeled into a terrifying game of hide-and-seek by her wealthy in-laws. With hours until dawn, Grace must fight to survive the night and her new family. Sarah, Ready or Not is obviously one of those genre films dipped in violence and buckets of blood. I'd like to move past those particulars for just a moment, however, and ask you about some of the ideas rummaging below the film's service. I figure this would probably be a good place to mm -hmm. start. Did you feel like Ready or Not took advantage of themes like generational wealth, marriage, and in-law relationships, or... Did it amount to a little more than a gore-splattered time at the movies? I think that it wanted to take advantage of a lot of questions about wealth and generational wealth and familial relationships, especially in-law relationships. But I think the themes that were a little bit more interesting were themes about um, what societal norms do we choose to uphold with our actions and then what are we teaching our children through our actions as well? So there was some commentary about generational wealth and rich people and the strange things that they do that may or may not be necessarily good for the other people that they come into contact with. Um, there were a couple of really interesting characters who were essentially status obsessed, who had married into this family. Um, who seemed to treat what was going on in the situation in the film as more normal than the actual family members were. Um, but I think that um, some of the more interesting things that were happening in the movie were interactions between these people and their kids who were seeing this violence and who decided to follow along with it simply because it was what their parents were doing. And I thought that those questions were much more interesting than just, oh, rich people are terrible. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, no. I, you know what I also like too is, so in this film, uh, for listeners, there's this hide and seek mm -hmm. game and there are a number of, of, of people who are hired help who they don't necessarily participate in this mm -hmm. game. Uh, per se, but they are involved in that they want the family to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. And these, these individuals were almost obsessed with the wealth of the family and impressing the family that, like you mentioned earlier, they were, they were probably buying into the glee of this hide-and-seek fiasco, <laughs> fiasco more than the other individuals. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. I, I, I liked how this film 
didn't try too hard to be quote unquote important, mm-hmm. if if that makes sense. So it kind of embraces this horror makeup, uh, but it it gives viewers almost entry points to talk about some of these important ideas. And I don't know if it says anything revelatory about the in law situation, but I wondered if it would be if it would invoke these passive aggressive kind of elbow pokes Mm -hmm. with couples as they're kind of watching this movie because these characters will say things like you know family is the most important and you have the one of the main characters alex he's married grace and he's struggling between oh i've i feel like i have a duty to my family but at the same time i don't want anything to do with anything that they're doing (laughs) this is very sadistic and so i thought it was kind of a fun entry point uh with the film but i think you nail it in that most of the most of the real rich fertile ground comes with some of those background characters Mm -hmm. as they watch the game and almost almost want to be more a part of it than the family members Mm -hmm. yeah and especially the family members who have married in and who have decided um, once they've learned about this particular game, which they were never forced to participate in, actually, yeah, I want to be a part of this. I want to take part in this. I want to hang on to the power that I've married into, as opposed to saying, mm, this is really messed up. Um, so yeah, I wasn't entirely sure what to do with all of them, but I definitely appreciated those questions a little bit more than just the straight in-laws are hell tagline that the movie carries in the poster. I I guess we sh- maybe should get back to just the film overall i i do like this as a horror movie Mm -hmm. i it almost felt like the law of diminishing returns towards the end Mm -hmm. there's this stretch where grace was just kind of hitting people in the head over and over again with an object Mm -hmm. and it was just like one scene uh, to the next over and over Mm -hmm. and the film almost felt i don't know if i would say lazy but it just didn't live up to the first half. I'm watching the first half and I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. this is a really good movie in terms of my expectations. Um, I'm not sure it lived up to that, but I still I still like yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like this movie was actually pretty aggressively marketed towards me. I got a ton of Twitter and Instagram ads for it. Um, and it's the kind of movie that I would <laughs> think would be very much my bag. I do like horror. I like horror with strong female characters um, as the main protagonist. Um, but I wasn't mm. entirely sure how I was going to feel about it just because of the different mix of genres that I n- already knew were going to be at play from the advertising. And so I sat down and I started watching this movie. And for the first half, I was thinking, yes, this is fantastic. I'm loving this. I'm really interested in all of the questions that it's raising, but it's also just a really interesting and fun thrill ride. And the uh, towards the end, um, it just didn't, I feel like it didn't really quite stick the landing for me, unfortunately. So I enjoyed it. Um, I'm glad I watched it. I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure it's an all-timer, so. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. There were some scenes near the middle of this film that were just incredibly intense. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of final confrontation, if you will, that doesn't live up to that. I I did think about some of the the spiritual kind of elements in the movie. So there's a horror film that Kevin and I reviewed. Oh, I think it might be two years ago now, but it's the black coat's daughter. And what I appreciated about that movie is the idea that evil kind of promises a lot, Mm -hmm. 
but in the end, it's not really around once it's done with you. And characters at the beginning will make statements in this movie, so in, in Ready or Not, that the family is richer than God and that there's some sort of supernatural force, and the film kind of goes into that later on, that has given them this wealth. And I appreciated how the film kind of looks at that from the perspective of, well, evil kind of promises something, but it doesn't always deliver in the way that we thought. There's always some sort of, some sort of cost. Mm -hmm. And I almost wish the movie would have explored that line a little bit more because I found that to be pretty. Yeah. It feels like it was probably a more one sided deal than what we see even in the movie because one character even mentions, um, that he realized he really didn't want to be in the family anymore because he realized that he was doing things for the family that most normal families don't ever do. And to him, it had been normal up to a certain point. And then he realized just how messed up the family situation was. Um, and I think him realizing that um, the deal that they had made was a one-sided one and a messed up one that tended to exploit the other people around them rather than helping anybody else um, was what made him uh, come to his senses. So, And I don't know if it was just me. And maybe it's just... Because we talk about faith and spirituality on seeing and believing. Mm -hmm. But there definitely were scenes where the movie wanted Grace to, to have some sort of religious, almost crucifixion mm -hmm. imagery. So like nails are going through her mm -hmm. hands. She's falling into this dark pit of evil, which I found just kind of strange, mm -hmm. but then again, like, also found it, I use this word again, Her name's also very on the nose, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, I think they were going for it, but I, that particular illusion felt more surface level than anything else. I don't think there was any other thought that went into those particular decisions. And the the film, too, makes this case that, that she's good. Mm -hmm. And I think perhaps where it falls apart towards the end for me, in addition to what I mentioned before, is that we spend a lot of time with the family, and I'm not sure the action with Grace develops her character. Mm -hmm. I'd like to learn a little bit more about her. I'd like to see a little more arc with her because she's a very, I don't, I like her character a lot, mm -hmm. but we hear, oh, she's good and she's done so much for me. And we, we can definitely see that, but I'd like to, I don't know. Maybe explore that a little bit more versus just simply being with the family as they talk and then go back to Grace and she's just kind of running the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most of what we get about her character is like a throwaway line of dialogue that she had grown up in a foster home. And then we get her being bemused by the family traditions and then frightened and running for her life. And other than that, there's no other personality there, which is really a shame because Samara Weaving's performance is excellent. Oh, she's good. Just, just the film, the film relies on her facial mm -hmm. expressions and she does a great job of just, and it, it sounds easy. It's like, oh, just, you know, be, feel like you're terrorized. Mm -hmm. But there's something about the way she portrays that, that I think helps the film work even more than may, maybe it should mm -hmm. work. 
Um, yeah, acting times. scared is very difficult to do, especially when you have to be dead silent while you're doing it. And I think she gets so much across <laughs> yeah. just with her eyes and where she looks and why she's looking the way that she looks. Um, so, yeah, absolutely fantastic job on her part. Uh, the film, I think, is funny, too. Did you think it was a pretty funny film? Uh, I think movie? the audience I was with laughed a little bit more than I did, but I definitely laughed as well um, at some points where I probably shouldn't have been laughing um just because the situation was just ludicrous um i thought it was funny it wasn't the funniest movie i've seen all year um but i i still enjoyed it i well i'm not going to talk about the end because trying to keep it spoiler free but there's a part with a cigarette at the end and I, i think maybe this film is almost endearing in that it says, hey, we're just going to embrace mm-hmm. this. And I mentioned this before. We're not necessarily going to try to be super important. Of course, there are these ideas that we both have found, I, I think, kind of important and, and fascinating. Uh, but there is this playfulness that the film wants to embrace almost a silly horror. And it feels like that film, too, Your Next, that came out a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. Very, very dark humor. Uh, we get kind of this big line at the end. You know it's going to cut to black. You know there's going to be this cheeky song. But at the same time, there's something kind of endearing about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it feels like a almost like a beach read of a summer movie. Um, kind of like um, mm. Game Night was last year or Logan Lucky was. Oh, I love mm-hmm. Game Night. Me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it's, it's, I appreciate that it is low stakes and self-contained. Well, relatively low stakes um, and more self-contained than most of the movie fare that we get in the summer. Um, not that I don't enjoy superhero movies, but it's really good to just have something that is just a self-contained story that deals with just one character and their issues and not necessarily the fate of the world. And the real, I love the the gaudy, dark, mm-hmm. creepy, ominous production design mm-hmm. of that mansion. It just, when they're walking around in there, I, for me, it's just, I, I would never want to be in that building, even with friends, because it just feels... It almost feels supernatural, I guess. There's this kind of spirit that's hovering in this mm-hmm. house. And uh, I appreciate that part of the of the production. Yeah, design. I liked the dark oak and all of the corridors and all of the really low ceilings, even though it's a really big house. Um, everything just felt kind of oppressive and creepy in a really visually interesting way. Listeners, that is our review of Ready or Not. Maybe you've seen it. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have watched the film, make sure to tweet us at cbeliefpod, at cbeliefpod on Twitter. You can also email us seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be looking at a film that I didn't have a chance to catch until after theaters, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. We're going to be reviewing that in just a moment.
That song is Nothing by Herxley. We're going to get back to our show with Sarah as we review The Last Black Man in San Francisco, but I want to pause for just a moment and thank all of our Patreon supporters for supporting us and the show. We couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to support us, just head on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. We have a lot of great donation levels. And one of my favorites is the what can you buy for $5 donation donor level. I am wondering about that question. What can someone buy for five bucks? Truth is though, I don't have Kevin here to ask that question. So we're just going to have to wait for a couple of weeks. And I'm sure when he gets back from vacation, he's going to have a Rolodex of items that you can buy for $5. It's just not right for me to talk about that here with him not present. But you can still become a donor at that level. Just go to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. We've received some feedback on some of our past episodes. I want to read that to you. Adam Peterson said on Twitter, just watched Paths of Glory last night and listened to your review. Thanks for doing this. Suggestion for next summer, either Akira Kurosawa or some endearing silent films. Kevin and I, we talked about some of Stanley Kubrick's most influential films in our Summer of Stan series, and I really appreciate that there are listeners who went out and watched those movies so they could listen to the podcast. And it's always great to hear about that. I also saw on Letterboxd that Adam watched The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp because he heard about it in episode 200 of Seeing and Believing. So that's a lot of fun. If you ever hear about a film on Seeing and Believing, or maybe you've heard us talk about a film on Seeing and Believing, and you went out and you watched it and you really enjoyed it, I'd love to get your thoughts. Once again, thank you, Adam, for sending in that feedback. Our listeners can always send in feedback so that we can read it on the show and discuss it as we go along. We'll be back in just a moment to talk about The Last Black Man in San Francisco. For now, we would point you to Christ and Pop Culture. Thanks, everybody, for supporting Christ and Pop Culture. When you support Christ and Pop Culture, you support our podcast. If you'd like to become a member of Christ and Pop Culture, just go to ChristandPopCulture.com. There's a button called Membership. You can click that. You get a lot of great goodies. Once again, just head over to ChristandPopCulture.com and check out all of the great things that are featured on the site. Hey, Wade and Kevin. Josh Larson here from the Think Christian podcast. Just as I love seeing and believing, I think your listeners would really be into our show, which is all about the ways our pop culture fandom resonates with our faith. We cover movies and TV like you guys, but music, sports, video games, it's all in play. Each episode has a theme, spiritual warfare, for example. Then we discuss two recent pop culture items that resonate with that theme. I hope your listeners give the Think Christian podcast a shot and keep up the great work with seeing and believing. We built these ships, dredged these canals. In the San Francisco, they never knew existed. This is our home. You too 
stick together. I always come back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? We could throw parties. You could put on one of your plays. We could yell. It is this house. Our old house. That's not your old house, and that's not your neighborhood. Hey, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear flowers in your hair. Maybe he's right. What if we shouldn't be here? Who should be here more? Some millionaire? Listeners, we are back. And before we hop into our review of The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Sarah, I want to talk to you about, just for a moment, about the Think Christian podcast. We've done some promos for y'all's podcast, and Josh has done some promos. Josh Larson has done some promos for this podcast. It just ran before this segment. And could you give our listeners just maybe a a quick nutshell synopsis of the think christian podcast because i think i think they're really gonna enjoy it yeah so um i'm a regular i'm a usual suspect um on the think christian podcast um we like to talk about things based around a specific theme every week um every other week and so we'll talk about grace or we'll talk about redemption or we'll talk about some other theme that is relevant to christian listeners um, and we like to talk about a couple of things that are happening in pop culture at that specific time. So we were talking about redemption a few weeks ago, and I had the chance to talk with Josh Larson about Aziz Ansari's newest um, comedy special and whether or not redemption was okay. a relevant theme within that special and whether or not Aziz Ansari had maybe earned the redemption that he's being given in culture right now. So it's a really interesting podcast every other week, um, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. No, listeners should definitely check it out. Were you on the podcast recently with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I haven't had a chance to listen to that yes, one Yes, that was the Aziz Ansari on one. Yep. So the other, okay, uh, the other artifact we talked about was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, I, that's one that I have downloaded. I want to check out. Real quick, I'd love to hear... Uh, put you on the spot. What did you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? I loved it. Um, I feel like I'm kind okay. of in the minority <laughs> with female film critics who absolutely loved it. I walked out of the theater feeling very conflicted about the ending, and I wasn't really sure how I was supposed to feel, how I was meant to feel. Um, but I came out of it thinking that I enjoyed wrestling the qu- with the questions that the film raised, 
even more than I think I would have enjoyed the film if I had had no issues with it whatsoever. So um, I absolutely loved it. And I think that it's worth watching. Yeah, I I really did too. I think it's my, maybe my second favorite film of the year. And I really appreciate the way that you talk about the ending because I just still thinking about it. What does it mean exactly? I'm not sure. And I, I feel like I say this mm-hmm. a lot, but it, it feels right in terms of what Tarantino wants us to think about or feel conflicted mm-hmm. about. And I, I'm really excited to watch it again. I don't think I'm going to be able to catch it again in mm-hmm. theaters, but, uh, yeah, I'm excited about checking out that Think Christian episode and I hope our listeners check it out as well. I'm also interested in discussing with you the second film on today's agenda, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. directed by Joe Talbot. The Last Black Man in San Francisco stars Jimmy Falls as a young man with a near singular focus, the acquisition of his childhood Mm -hmm. home. The only problem is that Jimmy's former place of residence is located in a newly gentrified San Francisco neighborhood. Also, the house is not for sale. (laughs) Joining him in his quest is his best friend, Montgomery Allen, played by Jonathan Majors, who, like Jimmy, searches for home in a city that is rapidly leaving them both behind. Sarah, I mentioned before, Kevin and I, we couldn't get to this film during its limited theatrical release, but now that it's widely available, it's streaming, it seems like a great time to talk about Talbot's project. Before we get into some of the specifics of the story, though... I'd like to first ask you about the film's form. What, if anything, do you make of the last black man in San Francisco's visual poetry? Um, that it's beautiful. <laughs> it's uh, it's <laughs> yeah. probably my favorite film of the year so far, actually. Um, I absolutely loved it. Everything feels kind of soft and, I don't know, light-kissed almost. Even the mud flats that come up in the background occasionally are just absolutely beautiful. And it also feels like it's a film that's sort of unstuck in time, like it could have been made in the 70s as opposed to now. And it still would feel kind of the same. There's these lovely soft zooms. Um, that are just very gentle and insistent that push the camera a little bit more towards whoever the camera is focusing on at that particular time. Um, I think it's gorgeous. Um, I think it's absolutely beautiful. I hate to use the word poetic when I'm describing a film, but this is absolutely poetry in motion. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that phrase visual poetry was all I could think about whenever I'm just contemplating this movie. I love the, it's almost like this contrast between these wide shots mm-hmm. that highlight the influence of the environment on these characters and then also the the close-ups and the buildings and the architecture they're shot they're shot with love it almost feels like a ghost mm-hmm. story there's there's lighting and compositions here that also highlight the character's inner disruption. And as we're looking at these two characters, they're very internal. And that's difficult to put on screen mm-hmm. because it could come across as boring. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Talbot's work is he finds a way 
to help us to feel what they're feeling about the world around them. And sometimes that's love for these particular spaces, and sometimes it's fear, and sometimes it's disruption. But we get all of that just by watching these compositions. It's, I mean, it's an incredibly shot mm-hmm. film. Yeah, and uh, there's this one shot that I keep coming back to whenever I think about this movie, and it's of Jimmy looking through the door of this Victorian home, his childhood home, and the door is glass, but it's been sort of frosted over, probably by fog or condensation, and he's just sort of peering in through the window of this door, trying to get a look at the dark depths of the house inside, and we're looking at him from inside the house, so we see him just as dimly as he sees the house, and we can just feel the longing Um within him to get in there and to fix up this house and to give it the love that he thinks it deserves. Um, yeah, I just, that's one of the shots that I keep thinking of and that I keep coming back to probably more than any other shot in any other movie that I've watched this year. Yeah, it's very cerebral, mm-hmm. I think, just overall. I love that shot. And I, we've talked about this film so much on on the podcast, I'm almost not allowed to mention <laughs> it. But there, there are shots that remind me of the Tree of Life mm-hmm. and some of the way Malick's films the inside of those houses. Mm-hmm. And th- there's this sense that, that he's recreating, Malick is recreating his childhood and he's recreating this, this force within that architecture. And we get that here and so this is not just a house because this could be a story it's like okay yeah like we we know he wants a house and it's fine but we feel like this is a real living breathing Mm -hmm. thing and that it's a part of the world and a part of history as much as any of us are a part of history and just how much influence the environments we're around uh have on Mm -hmm. us and i think that's a really important for a film about what this film is about and that's essentially this neighborhood, this city being taken away from the people who essentially built mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting to note, too, that this um, movie is based in part on Jimmy Fails, the actor's actual life. So when he talks about this mm. particular house in this particular neighborhood and what it means to him and all of the different little features like the witch's hat roof um, and all of the molding and the corners, um, you can feel the pride in his voice. And you know that that's not just coming from something that was written on the page. Like That is something that comes from deep inside his soul. Yeah. There, so in – this is a personal mm-hmm. story connection. But in my my son's bedroom, there's this chair rail that before my father passed away, we we put together mm. around the room. And it, sometimes, and it sounds weird, but I'll go in and I'll just touch the corner of that because it reminds me of, of so much. And I feel like the way that Talbot shoots the interior of this house, it seems to imply that there's history behind mm-hmm. everything. And you mentioned kind of the witch's hat, but there's, there's kind of history behind this, this window here or this door there. There's, there's some sort of connection. Mm-hmm. And it says something about the connection we have to the spaces uh, that we inhabit, uh, you know, every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love this movie so much. I also appreciate just I mentioned the performances mm-hmm. here and I mentioned how they are internal performances. Jimmy fails 
plays a character named Jimmy mm-hmm. Fells. Jonathan Majors plays Montgomery mm-hmm. Allen. Uh, Danny Glover is Grandpa Allen, too. And I feel like those performances find a way to communicate all that we need. There's this great shot. I really, really like it. But it's of the two main characters, and they're riding together on a skateboard. Mm-hmm. And this is a this is a film about... Male mm-hmm. friendship too, and that these you know these characters uh, don't always they don't always understand the specifics of each other, but they understand each mm-hmm. other. And so there are times when when uh, I think it's uh, when Jonathan Major's character uh, doesn't quite understand Jimmy and maybe his obsession, but yet he knows why. Mm-hmm. And there's this deeper level of understanding, and I. I think that the film really kind of nails that friend friendship um, that's also tied to the history, tied to our neighborhood, mm-hmm. uh, the the friendships that we create within our environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these two men, they know each other well enough that they can skateboard together, which is honestly very impressive. Um, <laughs> but it's never a punchline. It's never a joke. It's almost more sad commentary because this is a city that was built around cars as public transportation. And yet these two men have to rely on a skateboard to get around because public transit isn't reliable enough for them anymore to be able to get to their jobs or to get to this house. Um, and so the fact that the two of them share this skateboard, I think, is another good indicator of just how well they know and understand each other and how well they know and understand each other's situation with no judgment, um, just understanding that this is the space that we live in and inhabit in, and inhabit. And this is the way that we have to be able to survive in it. Yeah. And I think, I think it's towards the second half of the film. Uh, One character says, if you leave, it's not your loss. Mm. It's San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And I I think some of the conversations with gentrification, and I'm not well versed in all Mm -hmm. of that, but the idea of, of people lose something when their neighborhoods are taken Mm -hmm. away. And I really do appreciate how this film goes even further than just a simple look at it. And instead it says, no, it's not that the people lose something Mm -hmm. when they're pushed out, but the neighborhood loses Mm -hmm. something. That we all as individuals, when we uh, quote unquote clean up or push out all of that history – we we lose something that we need. We need that connection. We need that diversity. We need all of these little points across history that tether us together. And it's more than just uh, an individual loss, but it's a corporate loss for even the new people that move into these neighborhoods. And I, I think I, I really do kind of just appreciate that look. Mm-hmm. At this big issue. And, and even too with Talbot, it's, it's not that he's just telling us all this. Hey, gentrification is bad in this. But, and we talked about with the visual poetry, but it's just, we feel that too. Mm-hmm. We feel that loss deep within, deep within us versus just learning about that. Mm-hmm. Loss. Yeah. It's, it's more of a, I don't know. It, it feels more like I understood it in my heart rather than in my head, if that makes any sense. There's a, there's mm-hmm. another moment a little bit later on in the film where two characters are talking about the things that they don't like about San Francisco, and they're very clearly transplants who have moved there pretty recently. And Jimmy looks over at them and tells them, you don't get to hate it because you don't love it yet. 
Um, and there's this, mm. just this sense of richness that comes along with the history of inhabiting that space and building that space and growing with that space and dealing with the hard things that come with it too, maybe adapting with those things, but also shaping the space in order to fit everyone, not just the people who are privileged enough to live in a neighborhood that is so expensive that you can only live there on an Amazon salary anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's, I, I, I appreciate it. I think that's true. I, um, I think too, you know, we're, we're talking about these kind of very serious mm -hmm. subjects. Uh, the film is kind of playful yes. in a way. And I appreciate that because it's, it's, it's playful. It's also mm -hmm. sad. Uh, there's a sequence with, it's like a Segway yes. tour. And, and I, I love how, I don't know. I, I was at, okay. I, I was at a youth camp one year and somebody let me borrow their Segway <laughs> and after like using it for two weeks, it wasn't weird anymore. It was just, transportation mm -hmm. and it seems like with new developments in technology or uh new developments within a city after a while they kind of lose their strangeness and i felt like this film did a, it did a fine job of highlighting that and even here just in this scene with the segue of how silly these individuals look within this larger environment mm -hmm. and how silly kind of some of our notions about history or the way the plans, maybe the plans that we have for the neighborhoods that we mm -hmm. inhabit. Um, and so I, yeah, I appreciate kind of the looseness of the movie at times mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And it did a good job balancing those two because that, that scene is very funny, but you can also just feel Jimmy's pride when he's talking about the house to these people on the Segway and he's shot from like a really close angle straight up at him. So it looks like he's standing on a balcony delivering a proclamation, but he's just telling them about the bones of the house. Um, it's, I just, I love that scene. Yeah, it's, it's really great. Listeners, once again, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Tweet us at Pod on Twitter and also email us seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't have a chance to see this in theaters. Mm -hmm. It got such a small release. I know <laughs> here and I, I, I assume it too, it was all around the country and I just hope more people check out this movie because it really is. Absolutely. It's worth seeing on any size screen in any format. Well, listeners, this is the part of the show where we take an opportunity to rate and recommend something from the world of television and or film to you. Sarah, I appreciate you coming in as a guest co-host this week. And you have brought a recommendation to our listeners, and I, I'd love to hear yeah, it. Yeah, actually, so I wasn't sure if this had been ever talked about on the show before, um, but one of the actors in Ready or Not, um, Adam, oh, sorry, one of the actors in Ready or Not, Mark O'Brien, is actually a minor character in this TV show, Halt and Catch Fire, um, which is about the development of the Silicon Prairie in Texas and then Silicon Valley um, in California in the 80s. A lot of people call this show essentially the Mad Men of computers, and it's not really like that at all. Um, it's a beautiful look at technology and how it develops and the relationships that come along with that and how they all bounce off each other. Um, it's an absolutely wonderful show. Um, I watched it as it was airing, and I've been meaning to rewatch it. So seeing Mark O'Brien in Ready or Not actually reminded me that it's time to catch up with Halt and Catch Fire again. I've always wondered about the show because I've seen it, but I 
I don't feel like I've heard a lot of people talking mm-hmm. about it, but it sounds super interesting. It sounds like it'd be up my my wheelhouse, oh, and so it's um, so good. Yeah. The first season is a little bit rough, admittedly, um, but when the okay. show starts to shift focus away from being the Mad Men of computers, um, it gets really, really good. And it's a brief four seasons. I think there's only ten episodes a season, so it's easy to hold on to and to catch up with. Um, but it's very, very rich. Yeah. No. Well. One of my, one of my things, like whenever I go into a television show and I'm like, oh, it's got seven seasons and it ended two seasons too mm-hmm. late, or uh, sorry, yeah, too late. And, you know, the, ha- you know, the middle season is not that great. And I'm like, oh, okay. But whenever I know a show has like four seasons, it went out like it needed mm-hmm. to. It always makes me a little more it, excited. Exactly. So it hit, it really hits its stride at the beginning of season three. And I'm really sad that it only lasted four seasons, but they also ended it exactly where they needed to. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. I'll have to check mm-hmm. that out. So my recommendation is actually uh, something a little bit older. It's from 1932. It's Shanghai Express. Mm. And uh, I was thinking about a couple things. Uh, so visual poetry, we we're talking about the last black man in San Francisco, but also you're on the Think Christian podcast with Josh Larson, who's also the co-host of Film Spotting, and they're going through a Joseph von Sternberg, I think of retro reviews Mm -hmm. now. And I just saw the Shanghai Express a few weeks ago, and it really is a a wonderful picture. Uh, Marlene Dietrich is the star. She's wonderful. I need to watch more of her films. Uh, But there's just something... There's something really wonderful about the way Sternberg uses the camera here to highlight the characters and to really help us get into their world and into this environment. At the same time, this is really a very entertaining picture. It really is. It's a, it's a you know, wonderful picture. And um, I, yeah, I'm excited. I had a chance to see it and I would encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Have you, Sarah, have you had a chance to watch it? I haven't show? yet. No. Um, I saw Morocco as part of the film spotting marathon, but I haven't had a chance to catch up with any of the other movies in the marathon just yet. But I'm really looking forward to Shanghai Express. My husband watched it the other night and loved it. Without you? Yeah, without me. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, have, I haven't seen the others, so I, I definitely need to hop on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's definitely uh, a film that uh, I really, really enjoy. Listeners, we will be back next week. I'm going to be joined actually by Blake Collier. We're going to review It Chapter 2. And then we're going to look at the 1983 Stephen King adaptation from David Cronenberg, The Dead Zone. So make sure to check that out. Sarah, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. So thank you. Where can our listeners learn more about you? And Thank you work? so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, listeners can find me on Twitter at Dodgy Boffin. That's D-O-D-G-Y-B-O-F-F-I-N, um, where I like to spend my time yelling about science fiction. Um, my writing can be found at Brightwall Darkroom and at Think Christian. Um, I'm currently taking a little bit of a writing hiatus working on a longer term project with real spirituality, um, about evil in the alien movies. Um, but I will be around and on Twitter just shouting about science fiction and speculative fiction. That's awesome. I can't, well, I can't wait to... (laughs) 
to read uh, what you have cooking up. So that's really exciting. I'm glad you could come on. Listeners, thank you for checking out this week's episode. It's brought to you by our Patreon supporters and ChristandPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden, and until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes, and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.